Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we desire today that you would draw us nearer to the cross. Lord, all our hope is set upon what your Son accomplished on that cross. And Father, may we seek to become and to see the cross more clearly today, that we would, Father, be captivated by Christ, and that our view of His glory, our view of who He is today would change us and mold us and shape us, Lord, more into His image. Father, work in our midst by Your Spirit as only You can. May Your Word go forth with power, and Lord, may we all here depend upon the Holy Spirit in all that we do. Father, work as only You can. We pray this all in Christ's name, pleading His blood. Amen. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, and again, we're continuing looking at the power that God gives to pilgrims for the pilgrim way. We are called to be strangers and foreigners. We're exiles in this world, and the power that we have to live in a world that wants nothing to do with us is found solely and completely in knowing Christ. And so Peter has Hash that out for us in 2 Peter chapter 1, pointing us to the difference that we have as God's people, pointing us to the Word of God as that which God has given to us to guide and direct us. And then in chapter 2, we see the warnings that he gives regarding the false teachers that are going to arise and are going to speak things that could captivate um, those who are unstable. They do this to exploit them. For their own needs, and we looked at the warnings given to them, and now we're looking at the reminders that Peter is giving to his readers as pilgrims, things that we need to keep in mind, things that we need to remember. And last week, we saw that as Peter ends his second letter by pointing to these reminders, the first of those reminders regards the Word of God. And we saw in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, that he's stirring up our sincere mind, that we must follow it by sincerity, and that we must truly want our minds to be shaped by the Word of God. It's, it, of course, needs to affect our hearts, and it, of course, needs to affect our actions, but our thinking, which is determined by our hearts, it needs to be conformed to what God has said, and that we need to do this sincerely. We can't just play at this. We can't sort of go through motions, but that this needs to be a heartfelt, sincere desire of our hearts. And then as we're called to remember the Word of God and pursue it, we're to pursue what is the genuine Word of God. And we see Peter defining that for us. It is the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So we essentially see Peter spanning both testaments, old and new, and calling us to pursue that which is the genuine Word of God. And that calls us then to cast out um, any other type of idea of our own that we would seek to follow. Uh, the, the, the Scriptures have been closed at the writing uh, at the end of the time of the apostles. And so today we have what God has given us as His sure and sufficient Word. As Peter has said, everything that is needed for life and godliness is found in the knowledge of Christ. And it is through that knowledge that He has given us these promises that we find in His Word. 
So as he calls us to remember the word of God, then we see, secondly, he calls us to reject the word of scoffers. So look with me in 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll read verses 1 through 7. Again, he says, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So the second thing that Peter reminds us of is that we need to reject the word of scoffers. And he begins by reminding us to be aware of their existence. Again, notice what he says there in verse 3. Knowing this, and what does he say? First of all, He emphasizes it. He's telling us that we must keep the reality that there will be those who scoff at God's word. And it's something we have to keep before us, knowing it of first importance, he's telling us. Now, the term that he uses here for scoffer is used here, and it's also used in Jude 18. And that's pretty much this particular word. That's the extent of its use in the New Testament. It's a a rare word group in general that's used in the New Testament. It comes from a group of words that, that at their very basic view, viewpoint, refer to like childlike play. And it can also take on it the meaning of to hit. So, you know, when your kids are playing or whatever, and we, we teach them, no, you don't hit other people, but sometimes when they're playing, you know, brothers, rough house, that type of thing, you know, that, ty- that you, you hit, and that's sort of that childlike play. Uh, but then it came to take on a meaning of attacking something or attacking someone. And it's part of a larger group of words that's used throughout the Greek language to describe those who would speak disparagingly or would have a low esteem of other people. It's used uh, to those who do this in respect to the world, creation, and even deities in both their words, their attitudes, and their actions. Those that are involved in scoffing, some of the words that would be used to describe that is ridicule, speaking ill, turning up the nose, shaking the head, clapping hands as a sign of scorn, whistling in derision, spitting, finding fault. And and that idea of finding fault is, is to dissect something to the point where you're not looking to help someone. You're actually looking to point out the problems that they have. Backbiting, dragging them through the dust, mocking, secret disparaging talk, ridiculing, making fun of. 
Essentially, a scoffer is someone who lets their internal hatred of the object that they are scoffing overflow in the way that they speak and in the way that they act. And so Peter is saying, remember that there are going to be people who are going to act like this towards you. They are going to come with scoffing. And again, notice what it says, scoffers will come in the last day. And what do scoffers do? Scoff. With scoffing. Peter seeks to remind us that we would never forget that to be a pilgrim means we will face opposition. There will be those who are opposed to the reality of hope in Christ and the kingdom of Christ that stands at odds with the kingdom of this world. Again, we have to remember we're we're not meant to fit into this world. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I need a banjo or something to sing that with. The sovereign of the universe is our Father. His only begotten Son who came to die on the cross for our sins is our elder brother. The Spirit is given to us to guide and direct us. We have God's full favor given to us. Now here's the reality is that when scoffers come with scoffing, what do we have a tendency to react to? We don't think, oh yeah, this is what to expect. We think, oh no, what's wrong? We should recognize that we will face adversity. But we struggle with this. The God of all the universe who has unlimited resources at His beck and call, why doesn't He stop it? Right? Why doesn't He just come down and and stop all the evil that's happening in the world today? Why does He allow the scoffing to continue? And so we can find ourselves wondering curious as to why God would bring about or allow those type of things to happen. But again, over and over again, Jesus himself and Scripture elsewhere reminds us that we will face adversity from the world. John 13, 16 through 17. Notice what Jesus says. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is just after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. And he has shown there an amazing example of what it means to be a servant to his people. He calls them to do this because they, as servants, are not above the master. And then, after he does this, you know what he tells them? He says, right after he does this, there's this debate about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom, which, again, sometimes you wonder how dense these disciples are. He just said, serve each other by washing your feet. And they're like, well, who's going to be the greatest one in the kingdom? And what Jesus tells them at that moment is he says, that there's going to be someone in their midst, one who has walked with them closely, one who has been with them for three years, and what will he do? He will betray Christ. 
And what's shocking about this interplay here is that Jesus shows, clearly shows, that there's going to be, that there is at this moment a scoffer among the midst of his own disciples. Of course, we know that that's Judas Iscariot, one who loved the world and loved the money of this world more than he loved Christ. And that this one will betray Christ. In that way also, God's children will face adversity and persecution. Again, in John 15, he reminds them, remember the word that I said to you. Peter is reminding us in 2 Peter chapter 3. Jesus is reminding his disciples in John 15, 20. Remember what I said, the servant is not greater than the master. If they persecuted you, or if they persecuted me, what are they going to do to you? They'll persecute you as well. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And so John in his epistle, 1 John, tells us, Do not be what? Surprised that the world, how, what does the world feel about us? Is it, is it tolerance? That's the word that we hear all around the world today, right? Tolerance. We've got to be tolerant. Does the world tolerate Christ's followers? They hate us. And so John tells us, do not be surprised. Peter, in his first epistle, Beloved, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. So Peter here in 2 Peter chapter 3 is reminding us again, calling us to know of first importance that as you walk the path of the pilgrim, as you are committed pilgrim and follower of Christ, following His Word, there will be scoffers who will scoff at you with their scoffing. In fact, the scoffing will become all the more intense as time progresses. Now here's the thing. Why is, why is Jesus reminding His disciples? Why is John reminding His disciples? Why is Peter reminding us twice here? Why do they say this all the time? Because even today, we need this reminder. Because this is what happens. The world scoffs. The scoffers come. And what do we do? Oh no. We're not going to be, and this is how we sort of spiritualize this. We're not going to be as effective for the gospel because the world doesn't like us. And so we try to minimize the message. We try to not be offensive when the Bible is clearly offensive. We try to curtail certain doctrines for the sake of winning others because the scoffers has come with their scoffing. We also can retreat inward and think, well, life isn't supposed to be like this. I mean, I'm sure if I were to ask a poll and ask for a hand of, you know, a raise of hands, how many of you think that the world is in a good place right now? I think everyone would say no. And then how many of you, if I were to ask you, you know, if you were to look back 10 years ago, were things better then or, wor- or worse then? And I think we'd say they were probably a little bit better then. Things will continue to get worse. Scoffers will come with their scoffing. So don't be surprised. Don't think it's strange that the world isn't tolerating Christianity. The world has never tolerated Christianity. 
What did they do? What did they do to the writers of these books in the New Testament? They killed them. They cut their heads off. They crucified them. And for years after that, they would take them and torture them and burn them and kill them. So that when we get to Revelation and there is this scene in heaven, there are those souls who have died for the sake of Christ and for the testimony that, he, that they bring before Him. And their blood is crying out. They are crying out, Lord, when will you avenge the blood of your servants? Scoffers will come with scoffing. So the next time you turn on the TV and you see a commentator deriding Christianity, the next time you read a newspaper article that speaks negatively of the church, don't be surprised. It's not a time for us to wring our hands. What is going on? What's happening? Thousands of years ago, Peter writes, remember this first of all, scoffers will come with their scoffing. Now what is it that drives them? And that's why Peter reminds us that not only are we to be aware of their existence, but we need to know their character. Again, verse 3, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. What is it that drives their scoffing? Why is there such opposition to Christ and to His church in the world today? Why are the people of God abused by the world? It is because Christ stands in direct opposition to sin. Christ, and I think that there has been a, a failure of the church to some degree in making this abundantly clear. Christ did not come simply to save you from the consequences of your sins. Christ came to save you from sin completely. That means that He does not tolerate it. And in fact, Peter is going to show later on in this passage how to, to what lengths God will go to not tolerate sin. He's going to burn the world to show how much He does not tolerate sin. But the world, those who are without Christ, what do they love? Sin. In fact, Jesus tells Nicodemus this. This is the judgment. Or I'm sorry, John commenting on, the, on Jesus. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Jesus, of course, being the light. Did people love Jesus? They loved Him when He would give them bread and fish. They loved Him when, they would, when He would heal their maladies. You know when they didn't love Him? When He told them that they had to abandon everything and follow Him, that they had to give up their sin. And this is what happened. People loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. 
We are the light of the world. And if the world hated the light of Christ and we continue to shine out that light today on earth, the world will hate us. So, these scoffers come with their scoffing because they're following their own sinful desires. They desire to do as they please and they scoff at anyone who would suggest that they do differently. So don't be surprised that the world doesn't like a message that tells them you cannot continue in your sinful actions. Don't be surprised at a world that says, no, it's or the, a world that hears the message of the gospel that says it's not okay to just go around and sleep with whoever you want to. Don't be surprised that a world hates the message, particularly here in western Pennsylvania, that says you shouldn't be going out on Friday nights and getting blindly drunk. Don't be surprised that a world hate that the world hates a message that tells them that the stealers should not be their God. Or that Taylor Swift should not be their God. It is remarkable to me how you can see the idolatry of the world on display with these Taylor Swift concerts. They they have talked about how there have been billions of dollars spent by people going to these concerts. and, And here's the thing, all right? I know that I have a tendency to preach a little bit longer than maybe what you're used to. But people will go and, first of all, there's no cover charge to get in here, right? You know, you, you don't have to pay, you know, $1,000 to get the good seats up front, right? And, and then, on top of spending that money, those concerts go on for three hours. So I'm going to start upping my game. I'm going for three hours here, all right? But, but what a demonstration of the idolatry of the world. What, will they, what do they serve? What do they worship? And then we would come and we would say, you can't continue in sin. Listen, to come to Christ is to come to the King. And the King requires that His kingdom citizens live in accordance with His holiness. And so the world's going to scoff at that. They're not going to like that. They're not going to want to be told they can't do something. Now, this reality should also affect how we respond to their scoffing. Because they're really doing the only thing they know what to do. And it reminds us that we must remember who the real adversary is. What is it that drives and motivates the character of the scoffers? It is because they are walking according to the prince of this world. They are walking according to the power, the prince of the power of the air. Notice what Paul says in Ephesians 2. And you who were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived once, or we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is all they know. And so what should our response be when the scoffers come with scoffing and our 
fleshly response is to put our dukes up and to fight back. We're going we're gonna to not allow these type of things to happen to us. We're going to turn and have in our own hearts hatred towards those who scoff at Christ. What did Paul do? Paul was saved by the grace of God, called to share the gospel to the Jewish people. God's chosen people. And what did they do? Did they receive the message? They were scoffers. They pursued him. They persecuted him. They had him arrested. And so... Paul had a clear experience with scoffers. Scoffers that he was not expecting, or at least you wouldn't think what he would be expecting. Scoffers from the people of Israel. And so what was his attitude towards these scoffers? Look at what he says in Romans 9. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. Now when he says this, he says this because he's going to say something that you're sort of like, "Ah, I don't know that this is really true. Maybe Paul's just being flamboyant here. He's exaggerating. Notice what he says. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul looks at those who are actively persecuting them, those who actively hate him, and he says, my sincere desire, and this is written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so this is true, I honestly wish that I could be accursed so that they wouldn't. And so he says in Romans 10.1, his heart's desire and his prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Wow. I want you to think of some of the most well-known adversaries to the gospel. Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens. Atheists who have mocked Christ and his people. I want you to think of those maybe in your own life who have persecuted you and scoffed at you because of your faith in Christ, what is your heart's desire for them? Paul gives us the example of concern, not retaliation. Our response is so often to, cut, to fight, to show our concern. And we're not, not to not show our concern, but to show our concern for ourselves first and foremost. And so Tim, Paul charges Timothy. He says, the Lord's servant must not be what? Quarrelsome. And here's the thing. And, and he's writing to a pastor, and this is especially to be true of a pastor. But, and this is something the Lord's had to work on my heart with. When I was a teenager, my, my dad used to say I could argue with a fence post. I, I once over a campfire when I was like 17 years old, I spent a two and a half hour debate on whether or not a tree makes a sound when it falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it. Like, right, that's, that's the level of quarrelsome I could be. 
I praise the Lord he's worked on me with that, but I still need to work on it. But this is for everybody. And here's, here's the thing. When we're scoffed at, our first reaction is to quarrel, to fight back. And sometimes that desire comes from a, a genuine place of, I can't believe they're saying this about my Lord and Savior. I can't believe they're saying this about someone that I know to be a Christian. But notice what Paul charges Timothy with. He's not quarrelsome, but he is what to everyone? Kind to everyone. Even the scoffers, especially the scoffers. Able to teach. Patiently enduring evil. Boy, that's a, that's a tough one, isn't it? Patiently enduring evil. And then when we have the opportunity to correct our opponents, we do it. You're scoffing at me. I'm going to scoff at you. I'm going to rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. And we can well up within ourselves and we fail to do it in with what? Gentleness. Now, why does, why does Paul tell Timothy to do this? So that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. That they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do, and then he, whose will? The devil's will, his will. And that, that is how we need to look at the scoffers who scoff. They are captured by the enemy. They scoff because they know nothing better. And so when we know their character, that causes us then to be gracious, to endure their evil patiently. And listen, we all need God's grace for that. And then to correct them with gentleness so that our desire is not that they would be shown how wrong they are for the sake of us feeling better, but that they would be shown by the grace of God that they are under the domain of darkness and that they in Christ can find release and salvation from that domain by turning to Him. That's what our heart should be towards the scoffer. I've prayed this often, and I think it's a prayer that we should pray often. When you think of the great world leaders that show animosity towards Christianity, your prayer should be that they would come to know Christ. And the greatest example of this is the one who faced such scoffing, Paul himself, who... What was, what was, he, was he a scoffer? He held the coats of those who killed Stephen. He was carrying arrest warrants and death warrants against Christians on his way to Damascus. He was actively engaged in the activity of scoffing, and it is there where God met him by pure grace. And changed him. And so that must be our desire. As we're aware of the existence of scoffers, we're not surprised by them, and we know 
their character. A character that seeks to love sin and therefore they hate the message of the gospel, but also a character that is trapped in the darkness of this world and it is a trap that only Christ can release them from those chains. So our heart's desire and prayer to God must be that they would come to know Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the hope we find in it. And I pray, Father, that you would work in our midst by your spirit. Thank you for these reminders. Lord, work in our hearts as only you can. We